there was a storm brewing off the coast of Florida in 1990, the fall of 1990, as a matter of fact. And this storm, Hurricane Hugo, is one that brought a lot of destruction to the East Coast, uh, particularly Charleston, South Carolina. But before it brought destruction, it came within a couple hundred miles of where I grew up, which was Daytona Beach. And it brought some of the biggest surf that uh, at that time my 16-year-old eyes had ever seen. And like a 16-year-old surfer and just a young boy, I I just couldn't wait to get out into the waves. But I had one significant barrier, that was mom. And so I had to convince her somehow that surfing during a hurricane was not only safe, but it was smart. It was the prudent thing to do, mother. Uh, Somehow I was convincing enough, and uh, somehow she let me go. I don't know if she actually, well, she thought maybe it's coming far far enough off the coast that the waves won't be that, wouldn't be that big. But sure enough, the waves were just huge. And I remember the day, uh, the day that really the waves were the biggest, uh, talking with my friends in school about this is going to be the day of days. Epic surf. We are going to have the most incredible time. Of course, at that point, a 16-year-old mind, my frontal lobe had yet to fully develop. You know, this is the part of the brain where you make good decisions and uh, develops a lot slower in men, apparently, than women. And so I was just not thinking about anything but going out in this giant surf, had no experience with these kind of waves, but I was ready to go. Well, it was finally, school was out, it was time to make this happen, and a bunch of my friends went down to the Main Street Pier, uh, which is uh, right kind of at the hub of Daytona. The problem was the waves were a lot bigger than we thought. In fact, a lot, lot bigger. There was no beach anymore. It was just one giant ocean, and the waves were crashing on top of the boardwalk. And so it was just not the smartest thing. In fact, I had convinced my mom, hey, let me go out and hurricane surf. The lifeguards will be there. They'll save me, surely. Uh, Well, the lifeguards had said, I'm out of here. And so they just had red flags that said, please, uh, only those with non-fully developed frontal lobes go out in the water. And I took that as my invitation. Another problem, there was no way to get really out into the water. You couldn't just paddle out like you could just on a normal day. You had to, you had to well, somehow uh, walk out on this pier, which was similar to the pier that we have down at the oceanfront, and jump off the end of the pier and somehow managed to not get knocked into the pier by these giant waves. And, you know, and that would be the end of your amazing, illustrious surfing career, and you wouldn't hear this story. So, you know, there has to be some goodness that came out of this. Well, I, my friends jumped out on the, on the pier. They were ready to go, less developed frontal lobes than me. And so they were just running, running, jumped over a turnstile, ran out to the end of the pier, jumped off about 25 feet into the water. And of course, we talked through this. Let's see what's the safest way to jump off the end of the pier with our surfboards. And we devised a way that in our minds it made sense. And somehow they survived and they paddled out into the surf. And I was slightly behind and it was one of those moments, do I go, do I stay, what do I do? And so I ended up just mustering up, jumping, jumping over the turnstile, going to the end of the pier, jumping off the pier, and here I am today. But the story gets better. So I'm out in the water, and, and my friends were, uh, who were, most of them were better surfers than me, were dropping into these just skyscrapers of waves. And somehow the conditions, in spite of the, the fact that it was a hurricane, w- was just beautiful. I mean, the storm was far enough off the coast where it just cranked up these giant waves. It's taking over the beach, but nevertheless, it was just like a magazine. Amazing stuff. So they were dropping in, and every time I would get ready to paddle into a wave, I would look down. 
at what I knew was going to be my death. And I just saw this, there's, there's just about 400 feet down there. How, I, there's no way I'm dropping into this. And I'm picturing my head connecting with the sand and all of that. How am I going to explain, you know, being dead to my mom? And then, so that's going to be a problem. So, so anyhow, I've about four or five times got right on, the, just on the edge of a wave, ready to drop in. And just pulled back, ready to drop in, pulled back. And finally got to a point where, all right, well, I couldn't pull back. I was being, the, the wave decided, enough of this, we're going to do this. And so it kind of dragged me in. I was like, no, 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 trying to backpedal. But sure enough, the wave was, you know, a skyscraper and sucked me in. And those of you who have been body surfing in the giant waves of Virginia Beach, you know, <laughs> you know what the power of strong surf can do to your body as you kind of lazy move, lazily move along. But this was just... This wave took my body and just tossed me over and over and over again to a point where I thought, I guess this is it. How am, I'm going to really have to explain, you know, waking up dead to my mom. So I uh, finally got, uh, got to the edge uh, of, the, uh, of the pier, of the boardwalk rather, and climbed out. And uh, sitting on a bench was this old salty surfer who was watching us young guys do what we were doing and just shaking his head and, and just like, what are you doing? You knew I was ready for a lecture as soon as I got out of the waves. He was kind of giggling a little bit. Could have been the fluorescent color of my shorts. But anyhow, I, I, I got out and I walked past him. He said, hey, I, I saw you out there a few times. And you, you got right on the edge and, and you were ready to do this and then you pulled back. And, and then you were ready to do this and you pulled back. And I watched you and some of the other guys are doing the same thing. And then there was that one time where it looked like you weren't really in, but the wave took you and I watched your form. And he said, you know, here's the problem. He said, when you're, when you're riding waves like this, there's no halfway in. There's no way to kind of partially commit to this wave. You've got to go all in and you've got to be confident that, that, that your board's going to do what you know it's going to do because this is what you've been doing even on smaller surf. And so you've got to commit. You've got to be all in. Well, we're in the midst of a series right now called Soul Revolution. And last week I gave you a challenge. And the challenge was called the 60-60 challenge. And it's simply this, for those of you who weren't here, it's simply to say, to set an alarm, whether it's your watch to beep or your cell phone or a sticky note or an email reminder, a calendar pop-up, whatever it is, and that every time that pop-up or that alarm goes off, you're to recenter your thoughts. Every 60 minutes, recenter your thoughts on a few questions. One, what is it that God wants me to see right now? What is it he wants me to hear? What is it that he wants me to feel or experience? What's his will in this situation right now? Am I in a spot right now that I was driving as fast as I could to hope that my watch wasn't going to beat because I didn't want God to find me right here where I was? You know, it's all about recentering. And so this, the 60-60 experiment, the challenge, this series is really about one thing. It's about you and God. It's about developing an awareness. It's about developing a sense of his presence, uh, learning the sound of his voice, how to communicate with him. And maybe you've, in the past, you've relegated your communication with God to something that is altogether not what scripture wanted. Maybe it was a, you, you've made it about things to do and practice and procedure. But I think my prayer is, and some of you have con contributed to the blog that we have, and you can find that at springbranch.org, You've said that not only is this a difficult process, it's, it's hard, but somehow in, as I, you're gravitating and moving through this, you're gravitating closer to God and you're finding that you're starting to hear His voice. And some of the clutter that's out there, all the noise and the busyness of our lives, even in the midst of that, God is still present. 
you know, as new believers, as people just beginning to walk with the Lord, uh, that process is a little different. You know, there's this tendency to think, well, all right, I'll take this experiment. And, you know, every 60 seconds when the watch beeps, all right, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to listen to? Or maybe there's even a little bit more excitement. You know, all right, God, I'm, I'm with it. I'm hearing you. But there's noise and there's confusion. And so just out of a, a desire to kind of be in control, or control is most, mostly in air quotes, what is control really? It's a myth. You've got one foot in God's camp and what he's saying to do, and then another foot in your own camp. And so you're, you're kind of hedging your bets a little bit. But those who have been walking with God, you're not off the hook. Uh, you know, if you've been walking with him for a long time, you're not off the hook yet. Because we have some of those same questions and challenges and doubts at it, it, it times, don't we? Where we hear God, or we think we do, but it's just safer maybe to, to keep one foot in, in our camp. Or, uh, and maybe our camp is a little different than somebody who's just beginning to walk with God. Maybe we mask it in something that we call spiritual or Christian activity. We know if we can, in our minds, if we can say the right words in a row... Uh, and we call it a prayer. If we can somehow magically, God will appear and something will happen. If we, uh, if we do the right behaviors, right activities, go on the right mission trip and, and put all of the things together, somehow that's going to be what it is that God wanted from us, right? Is that what he wanted? Is it, was it intended? Is relationship with him intended to be about behavior? Was it a transactional process like that? I don't think so. And I think in our communication with God, today we're talking about prayer. What does prayer really look like? How are we supposed to communicate with God? I think that this mistake, this, this uh, relegating faith or spirituality to a series of Christian behaviors, you know, even saying the right words or even knowing how to gossip well. We know how to gossip well, don't we, Christians? We just call it a prayer request. You know, if, if we think it's about that, I think that this is something even Jesus dealt with in the early church. And, and he said, this is what led him to say that, that these people, their, their lips are, are honoring me, but their hearts are far from me. How about you? Where have your, you know, your lips honored God? Where have your actions honored God? Where have you done the right things that you think are honoring God? But your heart, your heart is far from God. Not just every 60, 60 minutes, but... But really, the big picture, your heart, you've missed the point. What is faith? What is relationship with God? What is real communication, even risky communication, supposed to be all about? Because I believe not only is this challenge about being all in, but also is our understanding of what does it mean to communicate with this God, this infinite God that's bigger, that's more, that has more thoughts and just more characteristics and is just so much more amazing than, than even the stars in the sky. And so what was intended to always be about a risky, faith-filled, spine-tingling relationship has slowly become often for us about activity, about trying to please God through observance of holidays, prayer memorization, and even for the early church, dietary restrictions. And it can be just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. 
And we found this tension in last week's conversation uh, in this story in the book of Luke where, uh, with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you know the story. Even if you're just coming back to church or new to church, you, you know the gist of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's to do good things. It's a little bit bigger than that. It's really, who is my neighbor? That was the question that this uh, religious person asked Jesus. What does it mean to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Actually, the, the, the religious person said that. And then he said to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell the story about how the least likely of people is your neighbor. And so as people who are walking with God, we see in that portion of the story that to walk with God, to honor God, is to live a life that does good things, that, that, that cares for the least likely of individuals. But the story in the book of Luke doesn't end there. Because what we talked about last week were uh, two particular sisters, Mary and Martha. And these were two sisters who were disciples of Jesus. One who was anxious to please God in the busyness of her life. In some really good busyness. She was celebrating Jesus who had raised her brother from the dead. I mean, what, more, what greater busyness to be celebrating and to be a part of. But yet somehow in this story Jesus says... It's Mary, your sister, who sits at my feet. That's the one that pleases me. And so we live in this tension between wanting to do good stuff and wanting to please God with our lives and the things that we do, but also seeing that what matters most to him, the thing that matters most, is not the stuff, it's the relationship. It's sitting in his presence. And so how do we, where is the both and, and how do we communicate with a God that wants us to, uh, to do both? And so if communication with God is, is not how we learned, it's not how the disciples learned it even, because you see in, the, in, in Matthew's account of a story that we're going to tell, you see that he starts in Matthew 6 by saying all of these things that you think it means to be in relationship with God systematically. He says, no, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. And so if you've made prayer, if you've made communication with God static, dry, and lifeless, the disciples were asking, then how are we supposed to pray? You know, just like Derek said, there are moments where I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. So am I doing something wrong? Do I have to say, Father God, more often? What is it that, that is really uh, the key or the secret to communication with him? And so Jesus, in a few short lines, paints a picture of a prayer not just of a prayer, of a prayer, but prayer as a way of life versus something that we do. Jesus said in, in, in the simple prayer that we're going to read today, prayer is not just about saying words in order, but it's about how you live. And he did this in something that we refer to today as the Lord's Prayer. Now, for many of you, you grew up in a tradition where the Lord's Prayer was a part of your, your liturgy every Sunday. You, you repeated it. You knew you were a debts or a trespasses guy. Uh, you know, you knew that, uh, you know, where to, what you were supposed to be doing when you were reading this prayer. And so for some of you, it's a deep portion of your tradition. And so hopefully what you hear from me today will just add more color and more richness. And for those of you who hear the words, the Lord's Prayer, and you tune out, because what you think is, ah, oh, that prayer 
just means nothing to me. It's just a static, stale prayer. I hope that, that you'll really experience the truth of what it was that Jesus was trying to say. What was he trying to teach his disciples about what genuine, real, risky communication with God was supposed to look like. And so we pick it up in, in Luke chapter 11, verses 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, who was John? John was John the Baptist. That's who he's talking about here. And every rabbi had a series of prayers that their disciples would be praying. You know, for maybe, uh, you know, for different things. But for John, perhaps his disciples would pray, prepare the way of the Lord. They were probably messianic prophecies. They were saying that someone is coming that we're not even worthy to wash their feet or to tie the sandals on their feet. These were probably some of the, the uh, prayers of John the Baptist's uh, disciples. But Jesus' disciples knew that prayer was something entirely different. They were following him. They were following his pattern of behavior. And they knew that his relationship with God was very different than anything that they'd ever seen. And so what they wanted to know, probably at first, was teach us by rote. What is, what is it that we're supposed to pray in order to please God? And Jesus systematically gives them a prayer that changed everything. And in Luke's account it says this. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And we know the Matthew account says, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And there are different portions that different Gospels fill in. And this is our prayer that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And it's beautiful. And it's, and it's a part of the Christian tradition. And it's something that is, is very important to, to our faith. But what I'm going to say here, and this is by no means intended to step on your tradition. I really believe firmly that when Jesus said, say this, what he was saying was live this. Live like this. Prayer is not communication with me, with the Father, as you've seen me live. This is Jesus talking. You see that it's nonstop, that it's ongoing. That this is how we communicate. It's bidirectional. It's, it's always happening. And while there are seasons where I, where I uh, pull away from, from friends and family and just focus and spend time with the Lord, it's something that I do all the time. So this is a new awareness, disciples of mine, that I want to give you of what it means to live and to pray risky prayers. This is what he's saying here. When he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's saying this, You're God and I'm not. You know, the word hallowed is, is an interesting word. We find it in the Gettysburg Address, you know. Uh, we find it in different pieces of literature. Hallowed means holy. What does holy mean? It means set apart. It means different than. It means better than. It means that something is pure about it. It's undefiled. It's significant. And so when we say to God this, when we live our lives in such a way that says, Father, you are in heaven. I am not. You are God. I am not you are holy, and with that comes a sense of, of honesty about our lives. Who is in control? Are we God right now? 
Who's the God of our, our lives right now? And so that's the first por portion of the equation, that you're God and I'm not. But then he turns from this infinite uh, being, this one who, who created us in our, in our mother's womb, who, who uh, was just described in the facts that you heard this morning, the incredible, incredible amount of just processes that, are, that happen in, in an instant in our minds. That God also is this God, who we're to pray and live a life that says, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's simply beginning to hear the voice of that infinite God who says, I want to come near to you, that I want to be with you, I want to walk with you. And so as we develop that awareness and that sense of God's presence, we begin to attune our spirit, our ear, to what is it that he's trying to say to us right now. Are you living a life that says, God, your will be done. Not my will, not what I want, not what I think you want, but what, what I see it's unfolding in Scripture, the stories that I see that Jesus tells. How is it that you want me to live right now? And that's not a process that comes easy, is it? Uh, it's something that, in fact, it's something that even if you've been walking with the Lord for years, it's, it's an ongoing work in progress. But the more we listen to His voice and listen for it and remove clutter in our lives, the more we develop this practice, whether it, hopefully the goal is, is that once the watch stops beeping, we'll still be aware of the presence of God. As we do that, we'll be able to hear more clearly, God, what is that next move? What is it that you really want me to do? Goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread, which is so much more about, uh, so much more than just food, isn't it? It's, it's really this, it's saying that, that, that God cares about the things you care about. The most basic of details in your life, God is in. What does that mean for you right now? Where do you need God? Where do you think God is absent? Because you think it's just too big and, and, and maybe philosophically you get that God cares, but your life is living something entirely separate. And you can pray prayers all day long like this, but in reality your actions are saying, you know what, God, you're distant, you're far from me, I don't buy it. What does it mean for you to say, Lord, you care about the littlest of details. Not only did you didn't just create me and leave, you created me and now you walk with me. In the midst of my chaos at times, when we're celebrating, when joy is all around me, when I feel like I'm, like scripture says, I'm just in the depths of the earth. Some of you right now are here this morning and you are in the depths of the earth, aren't you? And you came here perhaps wondering, is there a God that really cares about me? Jesus is clearly saying he cares about the littlest of details in your life. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And this is where it gets tough, really. This is where, where we really just have to be honest. We have to be willing to say, God, I have messed up. This is, I have screwed up. I've missed the mark. Will you take my life and do something with it again? And, it's, and, and here's the thing. Is it's not just forgiving, asking for forgiveness so that we can keep on living life the way we've been living life. It's, it's interesting that, he, that the Lord says here that forgive and you'll be forgiven and then forgive. It's not a matter of something that we can earn. Have we earned forgiveness? Because there's nothing we could do to earn God's forgiveness. He gives it freely. 
And there is someone in your life right now who needs that kind of free forgiveness. That you're thinking, well, they haven't earned it, they don't deserve it, and I'm here in church, and if they were here, and if they were doing all the stuff that, I was, that I'm doing, and look at how spiritual I am, and I'm in small group, and I'm going to A2, and I'm going on mission trips, and I'm volunteering here at church, but yet there's a spot in your heart that you know that you've got to let go of, and that you've got to move past. And that's part of the essence of living this prayer. Finally, it says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This isn't indicating that God might like, deliver you into evil, as if he wants bad things to happen to you. No, it doesn't say that in Scripture at all. Sometimes, yeah, there are challenges, and I believe that we're tested. But ultimately, this is saying here that there is a real and present danger in your life right now, and it's a temptation that is, has the potential of knocking you off your feet, and you know what it is. And if you're me, it's probably a lot of things. You're like me. But you know there's at least one thing. There is a real and present danger that if something doesn't happen as the potential of derailing your life and you are hanging by a thread and you've got it all together on the outside, don't you? And you look great and you're here this morning and you know that if just one little thing is off balance, your life is just out of whack. It's, it's just completely annihilated maybe. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just a little, maybe you're saying right now, well, I, I, I'm not sure if I can, I can even think of something, but, but I don't buy that. I think you can. And I think what Scripture is saying here is that our real and present danger is something that we have to be honest about and say, God, uh, I need your help. I need your help with this right now. In fact, the song that Jessica sang this morning is by a, a band called Paramore. And they're not a, a, a necessarily a Christian band. And I'm always amazed when overtly spiritual themes come out of, you know, just secular mainstream. And I think it's just a reminder that all of us are seeking something. We're trying to find an answer to not just how do we connect with God, but to the meaning of life. But one of the, the lyrics here in this, in this song that particularly stuck out to me was simply this. I'll take the truth at any cost. I'll take the truth at any cost, whatever it takes and this song really becomes a prayer of sorts as this person just pours out their heart to something, whatever. Will you tower over me because my life is fragile and I don't know what I'm doing. And if it means being honest at any cost, I've been the other direction. I'm willing to pay that price right now. Are you willing to be honest with God with that real and present danger? You know, it says in, um, it says in, in Matthew's recollection of, of the Lord's Prayer that... Uh, in verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God knows what we're going to pray. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're experiencing. And so the things that we think we're hiding from God, He's saying, I, I already know what you're dealing with. But will we be honest about what is really, right now, has the potential of derailing us? It says in 2 Corinthians 10 that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul was getting that there is something about the thoughts that are creeping into our minds that are destructive, that are potentially, uh, uh, you know, have the potential of derailing our lives. Maybe it's an addictive tendency or maybe it's just something that we know we have no business being involved in. But he knew that we had, we had to, we have through Christ the ability to take those thoughts 
captive and say, no, you are not going to rule me because this is who my God is. He tells me I can take these thoughts captive. And that's part of this process of saying, God, here is my temptation. Deliver me from this evil because I can't deliver myself on my own. And I think this is being open and honest and raw with God about the thoughts that lead to temptation. And let me tell you that God is not sitting waiting to pounce on you with a litany of I told you so's. He's waiting to say, I love you. Come back. Let's do this again. Even if 60 minutes ago you failed, which is likely if you're like me. Come on back because I forgive you. Because I love you and I just want to be with you. And you're getting there. And slowly but surely, we're going to get there together. And one day, we're going to stand in eternity. We're going to celebrate the life that you lived. That was risky. That was on the edge. But you did it for me. And that's the life I want you to live. Here's the last, the last thought here. Real and present danger. My last, just last, I want to share with you quick, quick, um, a quick thought. These are really four Risky questions that everyone needs to answer. Really easy that come out of this passage. First is, who is the God of my life at this moment right now? So all of these thoughts here, this prayer really comes down to this. Who is the God of your life right now at this moment? Who is he? Is it you? Is he the God, really, really, is he the God of every moment? Or is he just the God of Sundays? Or the God of small group? Here's another question that I, that I believe that you have to answer. Am I sharing with him what's on my mind most? The things that right now that I'm feeling challenged by, the things that, that I, I'm just consumed in, have I just said, God, here is this, here is this thought, here is this challenge. Am I sharing with him what matters most on my mind? Even the smallest of details. The third risky question Am I asking for him to be honest in my thought life? Am I asking him just to, to peel back the layers and to tell me, God, or tell me, God, you tell me what it is that you want me to do. You know my thoughts, but challenge me towards greater things in my communication with you. It's open and honest and raw. It's the only way to live. And lastly, here's the fourth risky question. Am I failing forward. This is a theme that John Burke picks up on in his book where he talks about really simply failing forward is saying to God, I've blown it again and again and again. But it's accepting his forgiveness. And it's saying, I thank you, Jesus, that you've already forgiven me. In fact, 2,000 years ago when you died on the cross, you died for every mistake, every sin that I was ever going to commit. God, and yet you still love me. And it's moving forward. Failing forward. You answer these four questions. And I believe that you're soon going to find yourself praying perhaps the riskiest prayer that anyone can pray. And it's just two words. Are you ready for it? For me, it's use me. Use me. There is no prayer in my life right now that causes me to shudder more than the, these two words, use me. 
And I can remember being 14 years old in my, in my bedroom saying to God after I'd been to a, a conference and, and just got excited about who God was. I remember saying, God, I just want to be used by you and I don't even know what that means. But would you do something with this life, this confused 14-year-old boy who has nothing figured out? Could you do something with this? God, would you use me? And that was my risky prayer. And it's a prayer that I continue to pray. It's a prayer that puts me in situations that are entirely uncomfortable often. It's a prayer that challenges me to be a better version of myself, but one that I know that I can't be on my own. But maybe for you, your risky prayer is something different. Maybe for you, it's change me. Maybe for you, it's convict me. Maybe for you, it's heal me. Or maybe for you, if you're just walking, beginning this, this discussion with God, maybe it's simply this. Maybe it's just find me. But whatever that prayer might be, I promise you that if you pray this prayer, God wants to be in this. And so really the question for you is, what risky prayers are you avoiding praying today? What is it that you're just afraid to ask because I don't know what to do? I'm afraid that he might say no. What if he says yes and I end up doing something that I don't want to do? What risky prayers are you avoiding today? Well, I wish I could say uh, that I listened to the salty surfer who told me to go all in and I uh, jumped back on my board, hopped out on the pier, went out again, jumped, caught a couple of waves. Maybe I failed a couple of times and then rode the biggest wave of my life off into the sunset. But that's not how the story ends. In fact, this end of the story is fairly unremarkable. You see, I wrapped, just wrapped my leash around my board, got on my bike, and I went home. I went home. And I thought about that moment. What would have happened if I'd actually gone all in and committed to that wave? I've thought about that off and on for the past 20 years. And it's just a wave. It's just a wave. But what's funny is I can't count the amount of times in my life as well over the past 20 years where I've relegated my communication, my relationship with God to a series of behavior, a series of prayers that I think are pleasing Him, which just became a matter of a, a static, sterile, safe life with God. The times, I can't count the amount of times where I think I missed him. But what if I was wrong? What if I missed his will? And I guess I think today, what if I hadn't played it safe? When Michael mentioned to me uh, about a year ago that uh, he was thinking about going to Togo, I kind of giggled inside a little bit. And I said, well, what's a Togo? And he said, well, it's in Africa. And here's what I'm feeling like God's telling me to do. And here's why. And okay, here we, here we go again. Really, really, Africa. That's what we need right now. We've got so many things going on. And if you're honest, some of you are thinking the same thing. Why Africa? What's the, I mean, don't we have enough going on all around the world? But somehow, somewhere, God was whispering. Michael was listening to God, and a team of people were listening to God who, who, were, who was saying to them, maybe there's something that needs to happen. Maybe there's something risky that you have to engage in, that you is so much bigger than yourselves, and yeah, you may fail, but you know what? I'm with you, and there's a reason that you're doing this. And I cannot wait to hear next Sunday's message as this story unfolds and to see over the next weeks and months how this unfolds in our community 
Not just to see what our involvement in, in, in this wonderful mission in Africa is going to look like, but because this is an example of a person who somewhere in a suburb of New Jersey outside of New York, somewhere a long time ago, heard God's, God's whisper in his life and said the same prayer, God, will you use me? And as a result, a team of people are some, went somewhere in Africa that I could barely point to on a map, and lives were changed forever. Why? Because they went all in. They didn't know how it was going to work. They didn't know how it was going to happen. They didn't know where the money was going to come from. But as a result, we don't just have great stories to tell. We're not just going to have lovely video that we can watch. We're not just all going to have strange shirt dresses like Michael was wearing up here on stage. I'm glad he was wearing pants. And I, I'm, it's not just about that. It's about this is what walking with God is supposed to be about. This is prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. And so what about you? What God-inspired risky behavior is he whispering into your ear right now? What wave are you staring down the face of and your heart is beating so fast, but you know the only way to live, because that's what Jesus says, is all in. What is it for you right now? And the answers to your questions just might, just might lead you to the sort of God-inspired risky behavior that can and will change the world. That's the kind of life I want to live. Let's pray. Father, as those words come out of my mouth, I almost shudder a little. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want to live this life on the edge. But Lord, when I say that, I know, I know what you're thinking right now. And you're saying, Bradshaw, do you really mean it? And I'm saying, Lord, with everything I have, with everything that I am, that I do. And God, we're a room full of people right now at varying stages of spirituality all across the spectrum. And you know us so intimately, yet somehow with each of us, you have a plan, a very specific plan of what all in looks like for us. And maybe for some of us, it's a baby step. Maybe it's just to show up today to believe that they really heard you you were going to meet them here. Maybe it's a trip across the world. Maybe it's a trip across the room. Wherever it is, God, would we be people that live risky lives for your sake? Would we live, not just pray, your prayer? And so, God, we thank you for your presence here, for your conviction, for your inspiration, for your hope that comes through your word. Change us again in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. 